Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 7 of Twin, Twin Talk, Talk MN. MN. I'm Ron. And I'm Andrew. And today we have a really great episode. The NFL is only a couple weeks away. And Andrew and I have been, given, have been giving you all of our best takes. So now it's time to bring in one of our amazing interviews. This is Francis. Francis, tell us, are you an NFL fan? Yes, very. That I have it, been watching the NFL since 2015. That is impressive, especially since you are 12 years old, and we are super excited for another NFL season, and obviously the NFL season means crowning a Super Bowl champion. In about six months, we'll crown our next Super Bowl champion. Francis, who do you think will be holding the Lombardi Trophy for their team? I think the safe bet is going to be the Chiefs with the offensive firepower of Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. There's not much you can do to stop it. And they recently just signed tons of fun, like re-signed like everybody to longer deals. And they're going to be a contender for many years to come. And I think they will win the Super Bowl this year. Now, a lot of people are thinking about last year's Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do you think they have a good chance to beat the Chiefs? Uh, honestly, I really don't know. With Tom Brady getting older, everyone keeps thinking this will be the year when he falls off and could be, might not be. Uh, honestly, I don't think they do. I think the league has adapted to Tom Brady and uh, Mike Evans and that offense, and I believe they'll find a way to stop it. The scariest part about Tampa Bay right now is their defense with, um, I think, Levante David and that scary, scary defense. That's what I'd be worried about. But, no, I don't think they can beat the Chiefs this year. Yeah, now, as those are two of the best teams, we have to ask ourselves, who will be the best players in next year? Which brings up the question of MVP. Who do you think will be the NFL's most valuable player in this upcoming season? It seems very generic, but I'm going to have to go with Patrick Mahomes with, like I said, his weapons with uh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And even Clyde Edwards-Alaire is pretty good. Um, I think he should win MVP. But if he doesn't win MVP, a somewhat of a surprise guy uh, is Josh Allen. I feel like he could, last year he had this huge breakout year where he dominated, torched the league. I think this year with better players on his team, and now that he's already had a year with Stephon Diggs, he could take a step up and win MVP this year. Yeah, it definitely seems like it could be between those couple of guys, but it seems... Like most years, it's a quarterback that, win, that wins MVP. But if, let's say this year, a quarterback does not win MVP, what player do you think could? There are two guys, and the reason why is very specific to those two. I feel like Christian McCaffrey could win MVP because he gets like 1,300 yards rushing, 1,300 yards receiving in like league the league in reception or something crazy like that. And then the other guy I think could win MVP is Derrick Henry, if he goes off, he could, this year, with an extra game on the schedule, set the record for rushing yards in a season. And I think, without a doubt, that would get him the MVP. But McCaffrey and Henry are the only two non-quarterbacks I could see winning MVP. Uh, unless, like, Travis Kelsey is, like, a ginormous year or something. But other than that, yeah, I can't really think of anyone else. Yeah, those guys are definitely two of the best. But one position that we have to look to now that last year, we thought we had all the answers. 
Now, going into last year with wide receivers, we said it was all Michael Thomas. It was all him. Then he had a bad week one and then got injured. And now he might be injured for most of this season. So tell us, who's going to be that number one wide receiver or that guy that we all have to look out for for this season? Yeah, I remember last year with Michael Thomas. I got him in my fantasy team, the sixth pick. Then he was out like the entire year, and that sucks. This year, I think it's either going to be Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams. Uh, the thing with Devontae Adams is his situation is very dependent on how well Aaron Rodgers is. If Aaron Rodgers can come out and have another MVP season, Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the league, hands down. But I think Hill, on the other hand, is going to have a good 1,000-yard season almost no matter what. Uh, the only issue with Hill is he has to contend with Kelsey and the offensive firepower of the Chiefs. And he's an integral part to that, but I don't think he has the uh, high, he doesn't have as high of a ceiling as Devontae Adams does with being thrown to by Aaron Rodgers and being really Aaron Rodgers' only target. Yeah, definitely Devontae Adams seems like the leader after his phenomenal last season. But we got to look towards the future of the league, and that all starts with the rookies. We know that this year, the number one pick was Trevor Lawrence, which is clearly the favorite for Rookie of the Year. But tell me someone who was picked with the number two pick or later that you think could be up for Rookie of the Year. That's a tricky question. Um, I think he, I think um, Justin Fields could just tear apart the league, I feel, if he can get a good rushing game going and if he can, like, because he has good, he has decent targets. The Bears always have good tight ends, and right now they have Cole Komet, who has had some solid years lately. Uh, but more importantly, he has Allen Robinson, and Cordero Patterson could be an interesting target. But yeah, if Justin Fields and Allen Robinson can start clicking and getting in sync together, I think Justin Fields has the ability to take over the league, and if he can start scoring a bunch of touchdowns and all that, and just take the Bears to a whole new level. Because last year, the Bears were a playoff team, and now they have Justin Fields, and I think he could take them to that next level that Dak Prescott took the Cowboys to in his rookie year. But I still think, I mean, obviously, Trevor Lawrence will win rookie of the year, but I think Justin Fields is a pretty good shot if he can get, uh, you know, get in the NFL rhythm. Yeah, now it definitely seems like Justin Fields might be the most talented quarterback after Trevor Lawrence, but we have to remember that we saw incredible guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes dominate their rookie season, but they didn't win because they joined the NFL later in the season, playing behind seasoned veterans, as on the Bears, we see the exact same situation as the Bears continue to say they won't start Justin Fields week one, so we'll have to see if Justin Fields, as you can as you say, can take the league by storm. But onto the defensive side, there are a lot of good defensive rookies this year, and it's kind of tough to look at them as in the draft, as we've seen in past years, there weren't any taken in the top five and only a few in the top ten. Are there any defensive rookies this year that you think can really stand out? Well, Micah Parsons, I believe, is the sixth overall pick. I think he is going to be the best um defensive rookie. I think he'll win rookie of the year. 
I think if you are, I believe, let me see who is drafted by really quick. But if you, if you're a fan of the, if you're a fan of the Cowboys, you should expect Micah Parsons to be one of those guys who gets a lot of tackles and he's just flying all over the field. And especially when uh, Parsons is paired up with, um, what is it? It's uh, Leighton Vander Esch and there's another guy in the Cowboys who I can't remember that was a really good linebacker. But anyways, him paired up with those two could really boost the Cowboys defense. And I think Micah Parsons will get well over 100 tackles this year, and that's what's going to strengthen his defensive rookie of the year case and probably win it. Yeah. I think this year we could see a very close race for Defensive Rookie of the Year, so I think that'll be an interesting race to watch during the season. But as we move into this NFL season and farther away from the last one, we have to look at which teams will change. Now, as we know in the NFL, in past seasons, we have had seven teams make, we've had six teams make the playoffs in each conference. Now, from last season, what is one team in the NFL that made the playoffs last season that you think this year won't make it? Oh, that's a tricky one. Uh, man, I think I think the Saints might miss the playoffs, and it'll be tricky because I think the key to the Saints making or missing the playoffs is who they pick to start at quarterback. And if they pick Jameis Winston... They're going to be a passing team, which benefits Michael Thomas, and it can also help Alvin Kamara, who's also a great receiving back. Whereas if they take Taysom Hill, they'll be a run-heavy team that could limit the passing game with Taysom Hill. Not, he's not the best passer, for sure. So I think if they mess up, if whoever the Saints pick to be their starting quarterback going forward without Breeze, if they don't succeed, obviously the Saints are not a playoff team. Um, but the other thing is they still have time to switch it and stuff. But that'd be the surprise pick I'd go with for, uh, for who wouldn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Now, on the back half of that, we have the question of which team that didn't make it last year will make the playoffs this upcoming season. That That's another good one. I think the Arizona Cardinals, I don't, I, I don't believe they made the playoffs last year. No, they did not. But with Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and now J.J. Watt, oh, and uh, Chandler Jones, I believe, that is going to be a really tricky team to stop, both offensively and defensively. I think they will dominate. And they, I would say they'd win their division, but they've got a really tricky division with the Seahawks, Niners, and Rams. So that's a really interesting division to watch. And I think the Cardinals could snag a wild card. Yeah, that division is just insanely good. The Niners going to the Super Bowl just two years ago, missing the playoffs last year. Maybe we'll see them back in it this year. Francis, thank you so much. Just one final question. Since you are a big Falcons guy, and the Falcons have maybe the most exciting player in the entire NFL right now, rookie talent Kyle Pitts out of Florida, number four pick in the draft, tight end, who many people are saying has sky-high views, but the last time rookie tight end was really that good was never. So, Francis, tell me, what are your expectations for the rookie sensation? I have absolutely, I expect, so, 
uh, during the draft, I didn't want the Falcons to take a quarterback, and I was hoping they'd take defense. But they're like we said earlier, all the defensive players were picked later on in the draft. They weren't as good. So the Falcons took the best guy on the board, which was Kyle Pitts. And the other guy that was there that they could have taken was Panay Sewell, so, who was the offensive tackle that I think ended up going to the Lions. But um, Kyle Pitts, I don't know. He's. I'm sure some Falcons fans are hoping he'll fill the void that Julio Jones left when he went over to the Titans. But honestly, as long if Kyle Pitts could say 800 yards and seven touchdowns, that's a very successful first season. And then he'll build on that next year and have a much better season. But honestly, uh, Kyle Pitts was a great pick. I think he'll be great in the future. Right now, I'm just expecting him to have a solid rookie season and as Ridley and Ryan just go back and forth the whole way. And yeah, I am excited to watch the Falcons. Yeah. Now, Francis, thank you so, so much for doing this interview with us and giving us all of your picks. As now, we have my views, Andrew's views, your views, and hopefully other views in the future for this absolutely exciting NFL season. Now, Francis, we are just three weeks away from the NFL season. Tell us, just very quickly, how are you feeling about starting this NFL season in just three weeks? Man, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to watch the Titans. I think that's going to be a really interesting team to watch. I'm excited to see how all the new players do. And, oh yeah, another thing I'm excited about is the fact that the Falcons are now fully vaccinated. I recently saw a headline about that. That was cool. Um, But yeah, just overall, it should be a great year. Um, I'm excited. Yep, let's get ready for this NFL season. Now, let's move on to some other sports. Now, Andrew, we see that the MLB season is still right underway. And again, we continue to get closer and closer to moving towards the playoffs with more teams really going for those last playoff spots. Now, Andrew, let's take a look at the American League West in the MLB. Andrew, right now, in this league, we can right now see that the Astros are doing very well in the American League West. You're able to see that right now the Astros are in first place, but it's very slim, only by three or four games ahead of the Athletics, who right now are in second place, but have struggled with some injuries with the losses of Ramon Laureano and Chris Bassett in the past two weeks, who definitely mean a lot to this team. In third place, we see the Seattle Mariners, who are four games behind the Athletics, so they're really going to need to make up some ground if they want to make the playoffs. We also see the Los Angeles Angels, who are in fifth place, who sit one game below 500, four games behind the Mariners, who are four games behind the Athletics, who are four games behind the Astros. So that makes the Angels 12 games out of first place, which means they really, really got to turn it around if they want to be in the playoffs this year. And in last place, we see the Rangers aren't even close. Now, Andrew, looking at this division, we see two very close teams at the top, and then it gets a little bit steadily not so close as we head down the division. Andrew, which team in this division do you think could make the deepest playoff run if they are able to make the playoffs? Well, then, I have to just go with the Astros. I agree that this team's pitching staff 
in my opinion, is kind of in shambles, but their bullpen might be one of the top in the league, and they're hitting. Yes, they lost Springer last year, but just it's so deep. Jose Altuve, Yuri Gurriel, and then that great, great outfield. I just feel like this team's hitting, and Alex Bregman to a third base. Just Carlos Correa shortstop. It's going to be very hard to beat them. Not that I have anything against the Athletics, but just sorry, that pitching staff it's kind of in shambles. I mean, I think they still have Sean Manaya and Frankie Montes. But after Chris Bassett goes down, they got Starling Marte for Jesus Lizardo, which I'm sorry, but Jesus Lizardo, you're going to regret that in two years. And just that hitting without Loreano. I mean, I guess you got Chapman and Olsen, but you're basically just being on two guys who are going to hit 25 home runs, and that's about it. And just with the Angels, I always want to say that they're going to do well. Because who... Doesn't think that the team with the two best players in the sport, the top hitter in Mike Trout, and almost the top hitter and one of the top pitchers in Joe Otani. But Anthony Rendon goes down. They basically have no one else besides Trout and Otani. So they just never really have a chance. Ryan, as I said just a minute ago, with Jesus Lizardo, who was rookie last year, who had a great season. Let's look at some rookies this year who are having really great seasons. Ryan, if you remember, last year, the Rookie of the Year race came down to the wire. You had your guy, I had my guy. But this year, I think we both kind of have the same guys in both leagues. In the American League, the top rookies are mostly Luis Garcia, uh, f- pitcher for the Astros, and Randy Rosarina, outfielder for the Rays. Ryan, I told Luis Garcia and Andrew Vaughn, both outfielders for their teams, are pretty good but I think it's mostly between Garcia and Rosarina. Ryan, who's your guy out of those? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Garcia's having a really good year, but you just got to give it to a Rosarina. Hitting 280, 331 on base percentage. This guy is just dominating the league right now. He's the best hitter on one of the best teams in our game right now. I feel like, don't get me wrong, Luis Garcia's put up a great fight, but also we've definitely seen how pitchers sometimes get a little cheated out of awards. So I feel like you just got to give this one to a Rosarena. Andrew, in the National League, I feel like the pitcher really has a chance is Trevor Rogers is dominating this year. And the main hitter, Jonathan India, hasn't been as good recently. So Andrew, do you think Trevor Rogers, the pitcher, can win Rookie of the Year? Well, yeah, Ryan, personally, I don't really see a difference between the pitcher or hitter. I just feel like when you're looking at Rookie of the Year in any sports, your goal is to look at the rookie that's put into the conversation as one of the league's best. Like how in the NFL, Justin Jefferson, when people are saying he was third in the league in receiving yards, he was top 10 in touchdowns. No, not top 10 in rookie touchdowns, but in the entire NFL touchdowns. Trevor Rodgers is top 10 in major league ERA. Not rookie's ERA, but of every single guy. And in my opinion, that's why he, he is the clear-cut India isn't even leading in most rookie stats. Great guy, great rookie, but just, no. Ryan, in this MLB season, we've just had so many surprises, so many teams, so many guys that just come up, stand out. But Ryan, one constant that we can always remember is that the Yankees are going to do great. The Yankees are just always going to do great. No matter who they have, no matter how many injuries, no matter what guy has COVID, just the Yankees are going to pursuit. Ryan, the Yankees, since they got Anthony Rizzo, I believe have won maybe like 10 of the last 12 games. Just incredible. Ryan, how far could this team really go? Yeah, I mean, Andrew, I feel like this Yankees team is doing amazing. Andrew, right now, they're on a nine-game winning streak. That is incredible. 
and they still have some injuries. They still have some problems. This team right now is just absolutely dominating the major leagues. And it feels like, again, the question becomes, how will they slow down? Don't get me wrong. There are some pitchers that might not pitch this well. But it still feels like if this team is dominating this much right now, it's going to be hard to slow them down in October. Watch for this Yankees team. They are a juggernaut. And again, we've seen that if they're healthy, they can be one of the top teams in the game. And oh, they got better than when we said that the last time. So again, I still say the same thing. If they're healthy, they are the best team in the American League. We'll take, we'll see what happens. Now, Andrew, just very quickly finishing up the MLB, about a month ago, you said that you guarantee the San Francisco Giants would win the World Series. Do you still stand by that? And how are they doing? Ryan, I'm not saying that I guarantee it. I'm just saying that I still stand by it. This Giants team is still looking incredible. Some guys who I thought would do better haven't 100% come through, but that pitching staff is still top five in the league. Those hitters are still finding some way to relive their World Series glory days. And just this team is coming alive at the right time. That was a great season. Probably the Dodgers are their biggest competitor. And you're not saying the Yankees. I understand that for the AL, but in the NL, it's all out. Giants versus Dodgers. But we'll have to see what happens next week. Ryan, quickly, let's move on to the NBA this week. We're over a month after the NBA Finals, so really nothing. The NBA free agency really isn't much going on. Yeah, the only thing is that there was actually two trades. One of them we'll talk about more in about 10 minutes, but the Clippers, as we remember for many years, are always searching for that great guard to pair up with Paul George and Kawhi, and maybe they have found it. Eric Bledsoe, who was on the Bucks three years ago, then went to the Pelicans, then went to the Grizzlies, then went to the Clippers. So the Clippers got Bledsoe, and the Clippers gave the Grizzlies, yeah, Patrick Beverly, Amir Coffey, and the third player was Jean Rondo, playoff Rondo, the guy that I don't understand why the Grizzlies wanted, but they did get him. So Patrick Beverly goes to the Clippers, but then just two days later, Patrick Beverly was traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Juancho Hernan Gomez and Jared Culver, since we'll talk about the Timberwolves in a minute, we'll save that for later, but just this Eric Bledsoe to the Clippers run, in five words or less, good move, not good move, tell me. Yeah, Andrew, I feel like Eric Bledsoe is going to help the Clippers, because again, what they kind of like in their veteran guard of Reggie Jackson is that he can distribute the ball and score about 10, 15 points per game when they need him to, and distribute the ball to their best and I feel like that is what Eric Bledsoe is going to do. Maybe they gave up a little bit too much, but overall, I think Bledsoe is a good player that fits their team well. Now, Andrew, as you said, let's move on to our Minnesota sports teams. Now, before we get to the Timberwolves, we have two teams that are actually in action. So, Andrew, really quickly, let's just look at our Minnesota Twins. Now, Andrew, the Twins have been horrible. But, Andrew, there are a couple of guys who have been decent, some of them young guys and some of them veterans. Andrew, who are some guys on the Twins right now that you think are doing well enough for us and that they could be part of our future plans? Well, yeah, Ryan, in my opinion right now, there's about two hitters and two pitchers that I feel like are in their first or second season. They're just doing outstanding, in my opinion. The hitters are, no surprise, Luis Arias, the average king, the guy who just hits, seems like, a consistent 300 hitter, and that is super important in today's MLB. Just 
continuing his great hitting this season. Also, backup catcher Rob Ruffsnyder is turning heads by hitting almost 310 this year behind injuries and not a ton of games, but still, 310? That's pretty impressive for a rookie, but we'll have to see since it's not a huge sample size. The two pitchers, the first one is Griffin Jacks. Now, this guy has been the Twins minor league system for a very long time, AAA, for a couple years, and now he's up, and he is stunning. He had a rough first couple games, but since then, he has just been doing fantastic. The second guy is a reliever who... I forgot his first name, but I know his last name is Kulumbe, not Kulumbe, not the former White Sox closer, but a rookie that the Twins called up. He has just been probably maybe the most consistent arm in our bullpen besides Taylor Rogers, who is currently injured, but just incredible. And I mean, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. But Byron Buxton, Byron Buxton, our lone good guy this year who has been injured for almost a month, maybe even more. Is coming back. Right now he's playing in AAA. He's actually played last night. And hopefully by the next time we talk to you. Byron Buxton will be back on the Twins. Not anything you want to add about this Twins team. I believe from the last time we talked to you. We were actually doing pretty well. We I believe won maybe 8 of our last 11 games. But then we have to play the Yankees. Where we've lost 3 straight. And last night I believe we lost 10-2. Terrible game. And Kent Maeda is now injured. So that's great. Basically our Last and only decent play. Find anything. Nope, Andrew, let's move on to our Minnesota Vikings. Now, Andrew, last week the Vikings had an absolutely embarrassing preseason game as we didn't really start that many good players, so it's fine, and we got absolutely killed. This week we decide we're actually going to start some of our better players. And we played the Colts, who didn't have their starting quarterback and starting running back and didn't use any of their starting wide receivers, and we lost again. Kirk Cousins played the entire first Kirk Cousins Played one series in the game and did bad. Okay. I I don't I didn't watch a ton of this game, but from what I saw, it was mostly Jake Browning in the first half, Vikings quarterback, who played basically the entire first half, who was just not good at all. I mean this makes sense. He's like the fifth string quarterback. Can't really blame him. But just the Vikings defense. I mean, it was good. This courts never score a touchdown, but just as I feel like a lot of people projected, we are going to have trouble getting turnovers, and we are going to have trouble ending these long drives when they're just running the ball five yards, five yards, seven yards, five yards, three yards, two yards, seven yards, and we are going to have a tough time, and that's exactly what happened. Obviously, we weren't starting most of our best defenders, but still, this is a looking at what could be the case. Now, on offense, in the second half, we had Kellen Mond going, our backup, who a lot of people are very excited about, and kind of asked, promised, his arm still needs a lot of work. The, most of the reason why we drafted him is because of his legs and because Kirk Cousins is not really a rushing quarterback. So maybe if we need like a QB sneak or a three-yard rush from QB in option play, Kirk can't really do it. So that's where Mon comes in. But kind of getting scared about this. Justin Jefferson had an injury about a week ago, a shorter injury, and he said he's fine, he's fine. But he still set out this game. Adam Thielen played the first series and then left. Because of a small injury, but he said he's also he's fine, he's fine. So hopefully Vikings can be healthy. That's basically the only important part. Definitely two losses. Not fun whatsoever, but doesn't really matter. Now, let's move on to the Timberwolves. Basically, the only semi-exciting team in Minnesota right now. Even though they're not even playing. So, with this trade. Patrick Beverly. 
Now, for those of you who remember, during the playoffs, Ryan and I were not the biggest fans of Patrick Beverly. He is one of those guys that's a very aggressive defender. He's mostly a backup point guard to what he does, and he's a good defender that plays aggressive, but that could really help the Timberwolves after our Ricky Rubio trade, and that could help our bench defense. He could give us eight points, maybe two steals a game. That is super helpful from that type of guy. Now, Juancho Hernan Gomez and Jared Culver, sorry to those of you who like them, but really neither of them were helping us. Juancho Hernan Gomez was like our fourth string power forward and just was not helping us. We got him because we thought he'd be a good defender. Now that was three-point shooting, it was fine, but not really. Jared Culver, it's really sad to give up on him after, I believe it's second season now, but just he was not going anywhere. He just... Sorry, but that was a bust pick. I'm not I'm not mad at the Tim Wars because he was the guy that I felt we should have taken over Kobe White. But just that definitely was not a great pick. And I don't know, maybe he'll end up good uh, on Memphis, but I just don't think so. Yeah, Andrew, the Timberwolves look like they definitely need to make some moves. And again, we have to applaud them for trying. It's really tough for these horrible teams to try to go out and make moves. But... Timberwolves went out, and we made a change, and I don't think it'll work very well, but again, at least they're trying to make a change, and they're trying to commit to getting better. Now, this week marks something special on this podcast, as we had our first interview in a very long time, but we also are now going to have our first story of a very long time. So I will now be telling the story of one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time, Jim Valvano. Jim Favano was born in New York in 1946. As a kid, he idolized legendary NFL coach Vince Lombardi. Jim Favano was born to inspire, and that's exactly what he did. He became a great basketball coach at one of his favorite colleges in Rutgers, where he played very well. Favano was a big leader in college, and even as he wasn't the best player, he helped the younger players grow, and it was noticed as right out of college, he became the freshman coach at Rutgers. As a young man, who is younger than Devin Booker. He was 23 coaching a college basketball team. Coach Valvano coached for many teams and inspired players and shaped men. In the season before Valvano started at Iona College, the team was five games above 500. But in only Jim's second season, they were a whopping 23-6. and six. Jim Valvano took, in a sol- took over a solid NC State team in 1980. The team had one goal. And one goal only, and that was to win the national championship. In 1981, they made it to the tournament, but they got eliminated in the first round. And in 1982, they made the tournament again, but were again eliminated in the second round. In 1983, it felt like their year. They knew it had to be their year with their best team. It felt like they had to dominate. But the team really got off to a rocky start as their starting point guard went down with an injury that looked like season-ending as the team was 8-6. and six. And, at, and at this time, college basketball was one of the best it's ever been. Tons of amazing teams, and you really had to have a powerhouse to do well, and this team certainly didn't have that powerhouse. The team was 8-6 and six after their best player got injured, which was not very good, and the team was really losing hope. But after an absolute miracle, their starting point guard was able to come back from his injury, which no one expected, and he led the team to a great 16-8 and at the top of the 
amazing ACC. The March Madness tournament at the time was much smaller, and you had to be incredible to get in. The team was 17-10 and 10 going into the ACC tournament, and the team didn't look like it had any chance to make the tournament if they did anything, but like now, the winner of each of the major conference tournaments automatically got to make the state tournament. That was the only way they could make it. Win the ACC. Now, this might seem something like out of a storybook. They have one chance to make the tournament. But again, I tell you, this is fact. They had to win, I believe it was four straight games against some of the top teams in the country just to make it to the tournament. And then the tournament, they would have had to win six straight games against some of the top teams in the country to win the national championship. It looked almost impossible, but the team was up for the challenge. The team only had a couple of good wins. Um, Valvano's NC State team didn't have that good of a season, but they had to do well. Their only chance to make the tournament was to win the ACC tournament. In the first round, they played Wake Forest, and they were down late. As their dreams started to diminish, they came back with a miracle victory with some lucky missed shots by Wake Forest in NC State, hitting some very lucky shot, shots. It seemed like a miracle they'd won, and it seemed like their luck would run out eventually. In the next round, they had to play UNC. Now, they had legendary coach Dean Smith, but he wasn't on the court. You know who was on the court? Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. The best player of all time. They also had to face five-time NBA All-Star Brad Doherty in the next round. And they also had to face Sam Perkins, who averaged double-digit points in double-digit seasons in the NBA. And Valvano's NC State team consisted of just one NBA starter. In Valvano's team, it seemed like David versus Goliath. No chance in the world for them to win. But you know what? They were down late again. It seemed like they would need a miracle to win. And you know what? They won again. Now, NC State had won back-to-back games by only a couple of points by sheer miracles. And they won both. Now, in the next round, they had to play Virginia, who had Ralph Sampson, who is an NBA Hall of Famer. And they had to play him in Virginia, and he was the number one overall pick next year. They were playing the best player in college basketball. And again, NC State was again down late and again needed a miracle to win. And you know what? They got it again. They had won the ACC tournament and made it to the college tournament. Now, in the college tournament, in the first round, they were again down late and they won again. You think I'm kidding? No, I'm not. There are There is a movie on ESPN 30 for 30 called Survive in Advance that just outlines the, sh- the sheer miracles that they had and how lucky they got. Now, they still hadn't gotten that far. They'd only won the ACC tournament and made it to the second round of the tournament. But in the second round, they were again down late and again they won. At this point, the players almost thought it was a joke as every game they'd get down. And the other team would think they won. And at first, NC State team thought they might lose. But every time they knew, they'd done it in the past. They can do it again. They went to the Elite Eight. And they had to play Virginia, who they were 1-8 against. And again, they had the number one pick the next year in Ralph Sampson. 
and they won again. This led the team all the way to the final game, the finals of the 1983 NCAA championship game against Houston. Now, if you're a really big NBA fan, you might know that two of the best NBA players of all time went to Houston at the same time. And we're both on the team in 1983. And that is first ballot Hall of Famer Hakeem Olajuwon and first ballot Hall of Famer Clyde Drexler, who are both two of the greatest NBA players of all time. We're both on the same team playing against NC State in the finals. And it's not like some guys that break out in the NBA. No, Hakeem Olajuwon was the number one overall pick over Michael Jordan, and Clyde Drexler was a top 15 pick in the next year's draft. NC State were the biggest underdogs of any college basketball championship in the decade. It seemed impossible NC State would win. But shockingly, NC State played this as one of their better games of the season. They were up by a couple of points late, but Houston came back. Houston got up by one with 10 seconds left. NC State had the ball. They threw it into the corner. Eight seconds left. Their power forward threw the ball to the top of the key. Two seconds left. Four, actually four seconds left. He puts up a half-court shot down by one. Now you might think, oh my God, Ryan. If he nails a half-court shot while losing to beat the best team ever in the college basketball finals after seven wins to make it there when they lost, when they won every single game by one possession and they were down in every single one of those games with one minute to go, that would be the greatest comeback ever. And now he didn't make the shot from half court, but he's put up the shot from half court. And everyone knew it was not going to go in. So what do you do as a, as a basketball player when you know the shot's not going in? You try to put it in yourself. NC State center Lorenzo Charles went up for the ball. He grabbed it out of the air. Two seconds left. And he dunked it home as time expires. He dunked it as time expires to win by one point to win the championship. Now, I forgot to say something earlier that's very valid. Now, as I said, they were losing in a bunch, in a bunch of games with only a little bit of time left. Now, you know, in the NBA right now, there's a shot clock, so you can't take that much time. But in 1983 in college basketball, there was no shot clock. There were times where teams would hold the ball for many minutes, many minutes, and there was nothing you could do about it because there was no shot clock. So teams often, when they got down two points, one point, two minutes left in the game, it was over because, again, there was no shot clock. They just wouldn't shoot. They wouldn't pass. And they would just hold the ball. And you couldn't steal it from them. So the fact that NC State came down from, I believe, eight different games where if they would have lost, they would have been eliminated. And every one of those games was a miracle every single time. Eight consecutive miracles. That was insane. It is often called the best sports moment of the 20th century. Them, NC State winning the championship as again, they had to win, I believe it was, 11 straight games to win the championship. And you know how many games they won? 11. This team dominated and again won the 1983 National Championship. Jim Valvano finished his coaching career in 1992 as an incredible college co coach. 
helping with basketball, but mainly as an inspiration and great personality. Shockingly, it was revealed that he had metastatic cancer that had a possibility of being life-threatening. He was honored at the ESPN ESPYs in 1993 for being an exemplary human being and gave a speech that could have put FDR to shame. He famously said, quote, To me, there are three things we should all do every day. We should do this every day of our lives. Number one is to laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is to think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions move to tears. Could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. End quote. Jim Valvano was one of the most loving and inspirational people ever and said that cancer could ruin every part of his life, could take his life and ruin every part of his body, but his heart would remain pure and full of love and compassion for others. When Jim Valvano gave this SB speech where he won an SB as one of the most inspirational people in the sports industry, Jim Valvano had very, very bad cancer. It can barely even walk and barely talk, let alone giving a very, very long speech. Jim Valvano was an amazing person, and shockingly, to everyone's dismay, all the smiles and all the positive comments vanished suddenly with his shocking passing on April 28, 1993, at the very young age of 47. It has now been almost 30 years since his horrible passing of this incredible legend. Since his passing, the V Foundation, which is for cancer research, has been started to fund cancer research that has taken so many greats, including Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, and U.S. Civil War General and President Ulysses S. Grant. Jim Valvano will be forever missed, but my favorite one of his quotes is, quote, in every single day, in every walk of life, ordinary people do extraordinary things. Ordinary people accomplish extraordinary things. That was a great Jim Valvano, who again passed away almost 30 years ago and is a legend who will be forever missed. Now let's move on to a little bit better of a topic with the birthday of the day. Andrew, who is the birthday of the day? Yeah, Vine, today's birthday is LaMelo Ball. Now, as many of you know, Vine and I like to talk about the Ball family a lot and their three kids or dad and just the funny stuff that they do. But we have to give them credit of just the kids all being amazing. Now, this is more of a story of uh, LaMelo's dad, LeVar. But three or four years ago, I don't know, COVID's weird, when Lonzo Ball was being drafted and he was drafted to Los Angeles Lakers, LeVar Ball gave a short little speech because all the top five draft picks get like, uh, how do you feel? Uh, how do your parents feel? Uh, so great to work here. It's basically like, I'm so lucky to be here. I owe all my parents who saw the kid. That's basically F1 speech. But LeVar said, look, this is, this is Lonzo's time. But in three years, I'll be back here. And all the hand says, I told you so. Because I got LaMelo coming in and I guarantee you, I will be right back here with a hat on and says, I told you so. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. When LaMelo Ball was drafted to the Hornets at number three in last year's draft, LeVar had a hat on that said, I told you so. He didn't talk to the media right away. He didn't yell it. He didn't have it on his shirt. He just wore a hat, just sat back, shook his son's hand, just with the hat, looked at the screen, saying, I told you so. 
He was just so confident, so confident that LaMelo would be drafted and that Lonzo was not his last son in the NBA, and now LiAngelo might get drafted. Yeah, Andrew, we could talk about the Ball family all day, but next week, I'm actually going to do a story on the Ball family so we can talk even more about them. Andrew, what else is there to say about LaMelo's birthday today? Happy birthday, LaMelo Ball. Never mind, by next week on the NFL, we will have, I believe, the last preseason games or second to last week, the last one, the MLB, will be so close to our playoffs, we'll be only about five, only about a month away from the MLB playoffs, we'll see whose prediction for teams is correct, the NBA, nothing will happen, I guarantee it, but maybe we'll see a small trade or whatever, all next week on Twin Twin Talk Talk MN. MN.